0: We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. First John 1. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. In other words, he already existed when everything began. Everything that has a beginning has an end. If I was an atheist, I would be very sad because humanity, there was a time when we didn't exist. And eventually, our sun's going to burn out. And probably before that happens, the planet that we're on right now will stop being able to sustain our fragile little existence. Or maybe we'll kill each other with a nuclear bomb or whatever. But the Bible says the elements will be destroyed with fire. True. <clears throat> that there was a time when there wasn't anything except for God. God. And then God said, let there be, and whoosh, which is exactly what science says, except for they don't say God. But they say the universe is not eternal. There was a time when it didn't exist. And then something happened that they call the singularity. Isn't that amazing? The singularity. And I call it, let there be. All right? I call it creation. And they say, this Okay, walk with me. The planet will stop existing. The species will cease. The, the the little light, the little light of human intelligence will go out. The planet will cease to be. The sun will cease to be. The solar system will cease to be. Our little Milky Way will cease to be. The ones around us will burn out too. Until all of them burn out. In fact, the whole universe, the whole physical universe, will dissipate. And it's not eternal. Science says that. Anybody reasonable says that. The Bible itself says something not, not quite like that. Think about how crazy it is the book of Isaiah says that heaven and earth will wear out like old clothes, but you remain. I, I just, you know, I'm telling you guys, this ancient book is super deep and advanced. And imagine if you could live a thousand years instead of seventy, eighty, hundred. I heard uh, the voice, the recorded voices of people who lived under real slavery. They lived in the eighteen fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties and their voices were recorded in the, like the 1920s and then digitally enhanced more recently and I got to sit and listen to their stories their actual voices on actual recordings crazy people who lived that long ago wild and the one guy said and I'm like is this true he said that his his uh, great grandpa li- was belonged to Thomas Jefferson and I said what and so and so lived to be 150 and I thought that stretches my that stretches credul- credulity. Is that, the, yeah, that's the word. That's hard to believe, although I bet you had a healthy lifestyle. Holy smokes. Anyway, okay. But if you could live to be a thousand years old, that's an interesting thought experiment. Let's say you could stop the breakdown of your DNA, because that's what causes aging. Your DNA stops replenishing. When you're a kid, you get a cut and a scar, you might not even get a scar because there's something so regenerative about your DNA yet. If we could tweak that DNA and you could live to be a thousand years, maybe what if we could tweak it to live 25,000 years? What if we could tweak it to live a million years? You'd still die with the rest of the species, right? And it still wouldn't change the fundamental questions that that life is about, would it? it wouldn't change the fundamental questions life is about Wh- which tells me the most important questions for humans are never scientific they're always religious always even if you could live a million years anyway in other words what what you would need to figure out first is what's for dinner And second would be, where am I going to sleep? Not out in the cold. But very soon after that, you would start to ask questions of meaning and purpose. Very, very fast. Again, uh, Immanuel Kant, right? Faith can't be proven so that everybody who's honest will look at the same data and say, Oh, you're right. God is God. Christianity is true, and I am now an idiot if I don't believe it. We're not going to get that level of airtight argumentation and proof, and I'd say by God's design, but nor can it really be disproven, as though God's under the microscope, as one of the pieces of, of information under there. All right, okay. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, Everything has a beginning. Everything that has a beginning has an end. God doesn't have a beginning, therefore he doesn't have an end. That's a faith claim that I'm making. It's not a, just a logical claim. And John says, this invisible one that everything depends on, that everything came from, and that who, and that who in himself outlasts everything, actually we heard him and saw him. I don't remember which theologian said this. It was, he was, he was, he was not happy about it, but he called Jesus the scandal of particularity. As long as God is vague, as long as God is vague, we can, we can sort of say, we can sort of make him however we want him. But if God breaks into history and shows up and says things and does things, now I'm, now I can disagree with them and be offended by them and be bothered by them. I have to be confronted by a God who shows up, a God who stays as people's ideals lived out, right? Remember, we, talk, we talked about this a little bit ago, that Carl Jung, you guys had a little mini college course, you know? Carl Jung, the psychologist, said that everyone can't help but, but, but serve God, even if they're an atheist, because whatever it is that they're serving as absolute to find meaning and fulfillment as what's right and good, because people devote themselves to what they believe is right and good, even if they don't love God, except for really, really people who are not lined up with their, their soul, right? He said even an atheist is still, still has a God and can't help shake that, that, that intuition because your body is smarter than your mind. This is We would say that's dumb, but our body knows, just like fish know the way to the stream where they were born, Birds know how to migrate. Those osprey don't teach their young how to migrate, guys. They leave. They don't care. Their kids are on their own. And somehow they find themselves to North Africa and the Caribbean and the Bahamas. (laughs) What? (laughs) What are you talking about? How do they know? I don't know. And how do they know when to come back? I put in my calendar when the osprey came back because I walked Caroline home from school. And I put in my calendar because I want to know next year. Did they come back in the same week? What do they base it on, temperature? How do they know? They know in their bones. And you know in your bones. You know in your bones. Deep in your bones, you know that if you talk bad about someone behind their back and then the next time you see them, that it was wrong. You know in your bones that when you stand up and do the right thing, even though it was hard, that it was worth it, even though it hurt. Where does that come from? And Carl Jung says, we all share that in common. You don't learn it from your culture. I think our culture would say that. Carl Jung smarter than our culture, by the way. The best atheists lived a couple hundred years ago. Nietzsche and, and some of those guys were way better atheists than the new atheists. The new atheists are like, God and the Bible's mean. Nietzsche actually worried about atheism. When he announced that God was dead, he wasn't happy about it because he thought chaos would ensue. He thought... Bad stuff was about to go down, and he was right. French Revolution and all all sorts of wars. Okay. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. We've heard him. We've seen him. He's actually broken into history. We saw him with our own eyes. We touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This this word, word, is logos. It's a philosophical word. It's from from the uh, Stoics. They said, there's like a, there's like a, there's like a code, right? Like, like if you write code for a website, it's all ones and zeros, but you have to know how to work the code to make the website look and operate correctly. And the Stoics said there's a code embedded in the fabric of, of the universe called the logos. It's the, it's the wisdom. It's the, it's the, it's the word of God. And John in his gospel of John says that the, the, the word gives life and light to every person. Every person has that spark, that intelligence in them. That's what Carl Jung was saying, that we all, we all have truth within us that we don't even, we didn't learn it at Sunday school. We have it as, as a human, or Paul says, the Gentiles even have the law written on their hearts, even though they never learned the Torah. Right? So this Logos became a person. The Stoics said when we line up with Logos, then we have harmony and peace, and we are set right. Crazy they knew that, because John doesn't say, those guys are idiots. He says, yeah, that's right, correct. I'm putting it in here. Okay, he he met the logos, the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we've seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us, and we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Messiah. And we're writing these things to you so that you may fully share our joy. This is the word of the Lord. So the question that Mary and I were kind of, well, I was doing the talking beforehand was, I said, I'm kind of obsessed right now with the question of how you know what you think you know. Because if I said to someone who said, I am a woman in a man's body, and if I said, how do you know that? I feel that, but what is your evidence for that? My feelings. Okay, but what if those feelings change? Right? I'm guessing there would be some form of circular reasoning going on. Well, how do you even define a woman? Well, I feel like a woman, so I'm a woman. And I think for a lot of us, the same kind of flawed logic undergirds our faith if I said to you, what is the basis, where do you look for evidence of what God's will is, how would you answer that? Anyone can talk. How do you know what you think you know about God? From his word. Now, why do you think this is God's word? Anyone can answer, not just Mary. What does that mean that he breathed on it, Stan? That has been
1: like since the beginning of the time.
0: But how do you know that it's this and not the Quran? Or this and not the Book of Mormon? Or this and not the Bhagavad Gita, Hindu scriptures?
1: Because it was not, like the relationship that you build with it, him. Within it, within it.
0: But that's an internal subjective proof, and Mormons pray and say, Holy Spirit, show me whether the Book of Mormon is true, and then they have experiences, and then you can't talk them out of it. How is what you said any different than a Mormon? By the way, I'm not trying to be mean to anyone tonight. You You had a look that said, I'm going to talk. When you go through life, you kind
2: of know what brings life and what brings death, and Mm. what brings life matches
0: that. Hmm. So you're measuring the helpfulness of the Scripture to your lived experience, and you're finding a correlation. Yeah, it's still experience, but it's not not as narrow a subset as religious experience, I don't think. You're broadening it out, life experience. That this book corresponds to reality. Yeah, When you
2: you live and look at everything, that makes sense.
0: This book corresponds to reality. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so um, I really like the, uh, the Greek philosophers like Plato, Aristotle, right? Their thing was not to tell their students what to think. The Socratic method is to ask questions. Their, their, they didn't, think, think this through with me. Have I done my job as a teacher? If I can get you to give the right answers on a test, but you have no understanding of what those answers mean. Did did you notice that Jesus, we talked about this earlier, in public, He doesn't preach like I preach. I preach telling you what I believe. And tell you my experiences. He tells made-up stories to get you to doubt what you think you know. All his parables are not just teaching you something. They're unteaching you something that you think you know without warrant. Meaning something you don't actually have good grounds to believe, but you think you do. But then in private... In private, he'll unpack. To the ones who have ears to hear. To the ones who actually are open. Because when, this is what we were talking about earlier, I told Mary, I said, I'm kind of really interested right now in debate, important issues, because when I tell you you're wrong, or when I give you a piece of of data, of evidence for what I believe, that contradicts what you believe, psychologically what happens inside of you is, that evidence, instead of convincing you, causes you to double down on your position. And, if, and the more people that are present in the interaction, the more your pride is at stake, and the less open to changing your mind you'll be, because that that's, has to do with a hierarchy of... Humans are intensely hierarchical. So Jesus knows this. This is what I'm intrigued by. How do we engage people, Jesus who are not convinced that you're good, who are not convinced like I am, that belief in a creator makes the most sense of the most data. It makes the most sense of the most data. I'm convinced of that, and I have reasons for those things, but just because I have reasons for those things doesn't mean those reasons are the real reason I believe those things. I'm going to unpack that. Just because I have good reasons for my faith doesn't mean those reasons are why I believe my faith. I actually believe my faith largely because of what Stan said, I know God. But not only do I know God, I have rational evidences and arguments that sh- that can hopefully show people that my belief is reasonable. Did that make sense? But if I just come at you and say, um, um, global warming, global climate change is true, but we don't need to freak out about it. Let's say I believe that. And I come at you, and you are of the opinion that it is a big hoax, it is a big leftist liberal agenda, and that that they're just fooled. That they've all told each other what they want to hear. And now they've turned it into a panic thing. Actually, there was a young college student in an interview I watched. And the guy said, why do you believe in global climate change? And she said, all the experts say so. And, she, and he says, how many years do you think the planet has left? She said, probably six. She was at college, y'all. He said, I'm not worried about her because it, she clearly doesn't really believe that or she wouldn't be at college. She's living as though that's not true while claiming she believes it. So she doesn't really believe it. You don't have to freak out. But if I wanted to convince someone who believed different than, differently than me on that issue, probably the worst thing I could do is just stand there and spout facts to support my, my side. Because for whatever reason, a lot of these issues are really emotional. I don't know why. I know people that if, if I said to them, I'm not a young earth creationist, I believe in the universe is 13.8 billion years old, and God used evolution to get us here, and that I fully believe the Bible fully believe the Bible, every bit of it, they would they would be so triggered they couldn't receive, they couldn't rec- some of them could probably not receive grace from my preaching after that because they've so built identity on their particular version of that narrative. And now, by the way, if you don't agree with me on that, that doesn't trigger me. I'm cool with that. That's fine. This makes the best sense to me. And if I'm wrong, I'll be happy to upgrade my, my thinking. But so how do we take people... To where they're not. And, and I think this is partially why Jesus, reading people well, in public spoke differently to the general public than he did to those who were committed disciples. He, right? Without a parable, he didn't say anything. But in private, he explained these things to his disciples. So I'm intrigued. This is, we, you know, we were. Evan and I love Tim Keller a lot.
1: So you're saying it's better for me to talk to him in private?
0: Explain. Oh, you're joking. I'm, um, I'm interested in us talking about Jesus in public. I, I do got something to do. Go for it.
1: So, because I know the scripture says, don't don't argue with with people. So it's like, what what do you do, What do you what do you do with that? And, like, and meanwhile,
0: Paul debated yeah. every Sabbath with Jewish people about whether Jesus was the Messiah, and debated with Greeks when given the opportunity that his God is the real God, and that their gods are kind of (laughs) lame. And so the debate is real. Uh, Now, so I'm not saying we don't debate, Stan.
1: Yeah, yeah i think debating and arguing is two different too
0: oh different. Too different. yeah so it says don't paul says to timothy this is this what you're talking about paul where paul says to timothy the lord's servant must not
3: quarrel yeah
0: Hmm. yeah yeah
1: cuz debating is is different when you know you have you have an idea and i have an idea and you know or one person has an idea, and then you debate about that, you talk about that, and you say, okay, well, this is what I believe about this idea, and this is what you believe about this idea, and your idea might be different to mine. Is that, is that correct?
0: Yeah, and debate is wonderful.
1: Yeah.
0: I, I, I actually watched some debates between an atheist, several debates, one between Christopher Hitchens, who died of cancer about a decade ago. I love Chris Hitchens, and I commented on the debate. William Lane Craig was the theist. I like him, too. But apparently, if I read the YouTube comments, I'm not allowed to like both of them. And I'm supposed to declare one of them the victor. When actually, I felt that William Lane Craig lost the debate because he was playing a logic game, and that's not how humans make decisions. Christopher Hitchens was playing a beauty and a goodness game. And I disagree with his conclusion, but I love hearing the man talk love it. Okay. And I watched that debate and in the comments, you get the theists all saying, "Craig wiped the floor with him." And and the the atheists saying, because YouTube comments are actually fun to read in 2023. They did not used to be. They're a lot better now. I don't know why. Twitter is dangerous though. I don't go on there very much. I went on there the other day and it's like, "Ah!" Totally Steve Martin in the movie Roxanne where he puts two quarters in the newspaper machine, takes it out, takes a few steps, and then goes, ah, ah, and puts two more quarters in, opens it and throws, it back, throws the newspaper back in and shuts it. Oh, that's Twitter to me. Uh, Facebook I can handle a little bit. But anyway, the atheists were like, I don't see how anybody could watch this and not see how Christopher Hitchens wiped the floor with this moron. Christians are idiots, you know. And, and I'm going, so my comment was, I miss Christopher Hitchens. He was a magnetic, uh, incredible, insightful gem of a human. Loved that man. He, I think, was the one who went to the Vatican when Mary of, uh, of Calcutta... Um, oh, yeah. uh, Teresa, sorry. Mother Teresa, I'm sorry, of Calcutta, when she had died and then the Catholic Church was to declare her a saint... They have to, they ha- in the Catholic Church, you guys know I disagree with this theology, to be declared a saint, I mean, come on, man, I'm already
2: a saint, that's just ridiculous. <laughs>
0: but to be declared a saint, you have to have, while you're in heaven, miracles. Yep. So somebody has to like, so somebody had an amulet from her or something in, in her name and put her, put her hand on a tumor and the tumor shrank. And Christopher Hitchens, the atheist, was brought into the Vatican, if I understand correctly, to be the devil's advocate, to argue against this sham of a charlatan. And <laughs> that's a bold dude who, yeah. They come up against Mother Teresa. Yeah. Well, he wasn't trying to say she didn't do good things, he was trying to say her entire worldview is poop. And she's a phony and a fake, and everyone who claims miracles is a liar, because miracles don't happen. And it's fanciful stupidity, and there were other causes that corresponded. Yeah, the tumor went down. We don't deny it, but the reasons the tumor went down are not because of mother. T- so, yeah, I watched another debate of a similar thing between a theist and an atheist, Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson, and that stuff actually butters my bread. I also watched a debate between a, a Protestant and a Catholic, and the debate was over the Bible is the Bible our highest authority or is tradition alongside the Bible our authority? And then after the debate, those same two guys changed venues. Nobody was around and they sat down and had a second conversation as friends, as brothers, no longer at each other's throats saying, here's why you're wrong and stupid and your whole tradition needs to repent and join my group. But then afterward, they were just sitting by themselves with no crowd. It's interesting, isn't it, how in a debate, the people who disagree with each other might really like each other, but their followers are doing a lot of name-calling and resentment. It's weird, right? Can I go back a little bit to something you
2: said? So
3: with the thing with Jesus and the people he was speaking to, His audience already knew the scriptures. That's right. And believed them. And he was more or less reiterating and take this with a grain of salt, maybe upgrading their belief. So it was very different.
0: Yeah, he wasn't deconstructing everything.
3: Or going to people that. He was reforming something. Right, that didn't believe it at all. And like you're giving an example, some of these examples of going to somebody. completely
0: completely outside the faith, yeah.
3: So the parables and these things weren't exactly to give to make these people believe something that they completely didn't believe, but to show them a truer reality of something that they already had Mm -hmm. a grasp of. Mm -hmm.
0: So you're asking let me see if I hear you. Mm -hmm. You're saying Jesus, in his earthly ministry, was sent to the Jews. So his methodology is probably going to be different than, say, the church in the Book of Acts. Once we start to reach out to Gentiles, that's my wife. What she knows I'm here. What's she calling about? Should I answer that? Probably she never calls. That's a good. I'm going to answer that. Hold that thought. Because I'm some, trying to summarize what you were just saying. But, I, but if this is an emergency, I want to know. And I'll let you guys all listen in because we're family. Hey. You okay?
1: Yeah, Has Carl call Sue. She's, she's trying to get hold of him. And, is kind of, and she says she's going to go and she needs him to call her. Okay, gotcha. Thank you. Oh, all, right. all right, bye. All right.
0: I was going to say we all got our number.
1: <laughs>
2: I'm
0: glad I answered that. Shall I keep talking while you're doing that? You might want to just—he's oh, got it. I was going to say you might want to dial that. Okay, so if I can summarize what you were saying, Jesus was not in his earthly itinerant healing exorcism ministry necessarily doing church planting, so to speak. He was doing sort of ref- reformation work,
3: right? To to, in, to the big crowds because I know he he did he obviously. He obviously had ministry with the people who, you know, he sat down with people who didn't believe, and that was always far more intimate right. setting, and that's why okay. the Jews, part of why they yeah, hated them, him, because he he right. spent this, these intimate times, and that's, you know, those conversations, I guess, you know, a lot of them happened, and I don't think we have a huge account right. of those, but right. um, so just a... I mean, when you're talking about when you're relating it to um, Paul speaking to the Romans, mm. Mm. totally get that mm-hmm. comparison. But then, Areopagus, yeah, yeah. But then when it's when it's Jesus and how he how he spoke and um, he his his crowds were believers in a book that completely pointed to him, and they just and they were just missing it. So it wasn't like he was trying to um, get them to believe a new religion. Right. Like as if I'm going to a Buddhist going, this is why this makes sense. Mm.
0: Yeah. Can I ask another follow-up question? Mm -hmm. How do you think Jesus would do the kind of engagement with people that we're friends with who maybe say don't go to church, and don't want to go to church. How, how do you think, based on your reading of Scripture, Jesus would engage them? Would he teach parables, or would he read the Bible with them? And probably there's way more options than those two. Those are just ones I thought of.
3: Well, I think they would fall into like, what he was doing with, with the Jews, hmm. because they, they obviously believe they're just... Uh, missing the missing the big picture but they're already in line you know maybe
0: I mean, maybe not right
3: yeah well i mean you said that believe what we believe but but just don't. oh no
0: i didn't necessarily mean they believe what we believe what'd you say our friends, uh, our friends who may not believe what we believe and may not even want to be a part of a church community. In other words, if they're interested in coming to church, like they say that's Christians that shows they have ears to hear, even if they don't claim faith yet. They're not yeah, they're they're not yet. They're, I, you know, we would hope we would call them with hope pre-believers, and they may be hostile. And and so this really is one of my premise is I want us to be deep thinkers who know who have really thought through why we think why we know what is the what is the evidence for my beliefs why do i have grounds to believe what i ha- what i believe and then i want us to kind of figure out how to helpfully engage people to get them to question why they believe what they believe because again this is a, my premise my premise is if i just come on strong if i'm not reading your heart to see where you're at and i come on strong with my evidence to support my belief it could actually backfire and you become much more hostile toward the faith, right? Like I've told you, I'm not a big fan of street preachers who stand out there and yell at everyone, but I'm really impressed with people who engage in conversations and genuinely have, like a real conversation. You know, doesn't it drive you nuts when people invite you to their, when you watch TV and somebody invites four guests on and the guests yell over each other or the person whose show it is just doesn't let anyone finish a sentence, And you're like, dude, you brought them on here to interrupt them? You clearly just want to prove a point and and don't want to learn. Why bring people like, right? And it doesn't convince people. Everyone leaves believing exactly what they came believing, including the host. And we at home probably do the same. Finish the show believing what we already believed. Unless something magic happens and we're actually hungry for truth and hear evidence and go, I didn't think about that. But that takes humility. So anyway, I'm going to present this. as Here's why I went to this passage. They, the reason these apostles believed Jesus was Lord was not because the Bible said so. Well, why do you believe the Bible? Because it says it's the word of God. But wait, but why do you believe it's the word of God? Because it says it is. Dude that's circular reasoning. That's moronic. That's like I believe I'm an elephant. Why? Because I believe I am. What is a woman? A woman is anyone who identifies as a woman. But that's not a woman. A woman is a biological adult human like female, you know? I heard a guy say and I thought this was really good. He said gender's made up. Sex is real, gender's made up. He said there's only two sexes. There's no genders and there's infinite personalities and they're all fine. So you don't have to surgically mutilate yourself because God made you the way you are. There's two sexes, no genders, because that's a human made-up nonsense thing, and infinite personalities. And it's okay if you're a tomboy, if you're a girl who's a tomboy, and it's okay if you're a guy who cries and picks flowers. That's fine. No big deal. Can we get over these weird gender stereotypes that apparently we're reacting to so strongly we have to mutilate ourselves? Okay. By the way, I, I don't mean to get off on this stuff, but I... Stuff takes root in people's mind. How do you get somebody out of such a deeply held belief? And these guys met the real Jesus, encountered the real Jesus. You can't talk them out of this because they don't believe it because of ideas. They don't believe this because they're part of a cult that's brainwashed them. You cannot talk them out of this faith because they know Jesus. They've seen him. They've eaten with him. They saw everything he did. This is their eyewitness real world tangible, historical, evidence-based, rational conviction that they saw him after he was crucified, and every one of these original apostles that claims to have seen him alive died for this faith. If they set this up to be a hoax, to fool the world into believing he was really alive, they were committed enough to the hoax to die for it. That would be weird, wouldn't it? That would be really weird they knew exactly why they believed what they believed. No one fooled them into it. No one talked them into it. See, if I'm so smart and so good with words that I can talk you into something, someone else smarter than me is going to come along soon and talk you out of it. Faith has to be more than somebody smarter than me said it and I believed them. Which goes back to my thing about the teachers. I was starting to ask you the question, would you think I'm a good teacher if at the end of my class everyone can memorize you know, the periodic table of elements and reproduce it. Every one of my students, when I'm done, they can all draw it and write out every single one perfectly. And not one of them understands what, it any, what any of it means. See, a good teacher doesn't just tell you what to think. A good teacher helps you learn how to think. Right? A good, a, good, uh, a good teacher with an apprentice isn't somebody who knows how, okay, I, I studied how he did his blacksmithing. And then you say, what temperature does the metal have to be? And you go, well, it has to be this, this, this many degrees. Oh, cool. What do you call the blower that we use? Oh, that's called this. What do you use? that? Well, we call that a forge. What do you call it? The, well, these are those specific tongs. What do you call a nail that's bent this way? Well, that's what we call this. Can you do that for me now? No, I've never done it. I don't know how to do it but I know the theory. That's a failure as a teacher, right? And Jesus, as a master discipler, he's here to train us in the things of the kingdom. He's not interested in us giving the right theological answers. He's interested in us knowing how to walk with the Father in real life. He's very interested in that. He walked with the Father and said, walk with me, and I'm going to teach you how to walk with the Father. Which is really intriguing. Like, meaning the difference between Western educational systems. But also, I'm saying go back to the Greek philosophers, and their goal was not to reproduce their beliefs in their disciples. Their goal was to get their, their students to question unquestioned assumptions and think critically about the important things of life. Why are you here? Why do you have such a strong sense of right and wrong? You think that sculpture is better than that sculpture. Is that a real objective value or just a private opinion? Can there be objectivity with regard to aesthetics? Who's to say that Kanye West is not as good at making music as Beethoven, Bach, Mozart? Who's to say? Who are you to say? Is there such such a thing? As better and worse? Is there such a thing as right and wrong? And why? Can there be an objective basis for meaning and morality apart from a belief in a creator? Some kind of spiritual God? If all we are is stuff, we came from nothing, the universe is burning out, heading to nothing, are these things like meaning and right and wrong? Are they real or are they illusions? These are my questions, guys, and I have been asking them since before I became a Christian. I'm still living with them, and I and I love them. I'm convinced, I'm convinced that life's way more meaningful as a theist. But I don't at all claim that if I became an atheist, I would suddenly not know right from wrong and not believe in living a meaningful life. Because again, like I pointed out earlier, that's hardwired into us. The question is, is that intuition true or an illusion? And of course, Ricky Gervais would say, what do you mean an illusion? It's true, and then it's also true that when we're dead, we're dead, and that's all there is. And he would say, and I think that makes life even more beautiful because you only have it for such a brief amount of time that you need to take it seriously. If you had it forever, it would take it for granted. It's even more important. beautiful by virtue of its being temporary. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. I do think it's very important that we know why we believe what we believe. Because there's such a thing as reality. There's such a thing as truth. And I live among a generation that believes you have a truth and I have a truth and Stan has a truth and we just need to respect everyone's truths. And who are you to say anything to anyone? As long as you aren't hurting someone, you live your truth. And I go, that's not even rational. That's not scientific. That's not grounded in reality. Like you can't just believe whatever you want. You're not a bunny rabbit. And you're not a grade-A student, so why do you think you're smart? You're not smart. I'm not saying you're not loved, but I'm saying we we have so many fantasies. And is the faith really a way to escape reality, or is the faith, as we talked about earlier, the best way to navigate reality? Sherry's convinced that this is a reliable guide to navigating reality. So, okay, so when I preach, what's my authority coming from, guys? Does my authority come from me? Do you believe me when I talk because of me? I hope that when I talk, you can see connections to this book and go, I see where he got that from the book. Y'all know the story in the Book of Acts, right, where they just left Thessalonica. They got kicked out. With host- it was hostile, He lands in Berea. I think he was beat up. He lands in Berea, keeps right on preaching. And then it says, the Bereans were of more noble character. Y'all know this. The Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians because they diligently searched the scriptures day by day to see if what the apostles were teaching and preaching was really true. I love that. Well, there's some, some people in the city did, but not the whole city. It, I think it was a judgment on the city in general which had followed these Judaizing people who stirred them up. Yeah, I'm not sure, I'm not sure what, the, what the practical upshot is, how do we engage people, but I'm really intrigued with the idea of when I was, a, when I was an agnostic, because I, I wouldn't say I was an atheist, when I was an agnostic... The reason I came to faith was I could not shake my doubts about my agnosticism. Now that I'm a Christian, I'm sorry to admit to you guys, I can hardly shake my doubts about specific elements of our faith. But I'm still staking my claim on Jesus and living it out while I talk to him about my doubts. So I I didn't go from complete unbelief to complete faith. I had faith in a, in a certain worldview that I doubted. You know what I mean? <laughs> and now I have faith, but along with it, levels of certainty on some things. Like, yeah. No, but listen, this is why, this is why I'm so happy about Carl Jung, Carl J-U-N-G, saying humans are insatiably and intensely religious, so to speak, Because it's hardwired into our biology so I'm going oh good God! I can just relax into the fact that I believe this instead of thinking it's all up here I told one of my kids I said you know when I started to try to date your mom I made a line down a piece of paper and I said reasons not to date Carrie aka see if I should marry Carrie and I listed off all the reasons reasons to marry Carrie and I listed off all the reasons But you know how I actually made my decision? Do you think it had anything to do with that paper? No. The heart is working on the problem, and once it's decided, it'll let your mind know what it's decided. My heart's already decided in favor of Christ, but my mind just can't stop making lists. Which is why I told you earlier, I have all these reasons for what I believe, but I believe deeper than my reasons. (laughs) <laughs> you don't make, you're not wired that way. What were you going to say? No, no. Stay there, right? I can't yeah, stay there. When we try to stay there.
2: Because like John and you and yeah. them were talking about sitting there for five minutes, right? I, Fifteen. Fif- well, however long, I was like, 15. I can do that. But then I really can't. It's
0: harder than you think, isn't it? I can't, yeah. I really can't. <laughs> <laughs> And then I read, Frank, I, turn and run, I, read I read Frank, I read Frank Labock say or... that he's managed to do it the majority of every minute of every hour. And I, I'm like you. I go, wow! I'm such a <laughs> tiny little spiritual. I mean, I can sit yeah.
2: there and talk to him, mm-hmm. but uh, that's not the real. That's not like the real mm. deal. You know what I mean? Like I don't.
0: I feel like I do know what you mean. But how do you yeah.
2: get? Like I think some of you know. I don't know. I, I is it just doing like practice? Like is it?
0: Frank would say it's. it's I can
2: see myself it, coming it, around a it's corner, gaining muscles, like, and, like, into the throne room. I can. And I know I can see myself coming in the, around the corner. I can stand right there in the corner, and there he is on the throne. And then I can, so there's been times I feel that, can feel his arm coming way out to where I am and, like, pulling me in. True. I can do that, and I can feel that. But most of the time, I cannot, I can't get, I, uh, the real thing, I, yeah. the real thing, the real, like, I shouldn't say thing.
0: I know, it's, yeah, it's okay, We're, we struggle with words. Yeah, we struggle with words. I haven't taken like offense.
2: Earth-shattering, mm-hmm. letting everything go. I can't. I, I maybe you guys can do it. Surrender. Are we? Maybe that's what's happening Surrender you and, and awareness.
1: Mm-hmm. I can well. explain to you what happens up there because it's like, mm-hmm. it's like it's it stuff just overtakes my body and that's all I can tell you. It's like I have no control. Most of the times. I mean, Carl's up at it, four or something in the morning. no control.
2: Yeah, I feel, I mean, I, I wake up well, and I'm talking to a 4 something usually, which is a pain in the butt because I can't now, sleep, can but I can I'm still, pa- but I, <laughs> the real thing, the real, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe Carolyn, maybe you know, because I know, I know you, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I'm not, anyway, whatever. Even 15 seconds is good. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've experienced. I think I'm not into wrong. the argument
2: thing anymore.
1: I've experienced that. Just felt It
0: wasn't even really fun. But then, then it turned around. I think I think Carl, you're right about. Okay, sometimes we put pressure on ourselves to, to. It's easy to feel the tension between holding our ideals. And. A humility and awareness of how far short we fall of our ideals. And I'm pretty sure that's normal for our whole life. Um, and the the cool part is when we become more self-forgetful. Uh, you know, this, do I love God? Oh, I do love God. Oh, that's such a relief. But even better than that is when I haven't even thought about myself loving God I'm just in a flow, in a state of flow, and like like athletes that get in in a rhythm, and they become it's it's almost autopilot, muscle memory, you know. And uh, like the albatross, I don't know, like the the massive nine foot wingspan albatross that only comes ashore like every three four years, and the rest of the time they sleep in the water, and when they wake up again, they just fly. They fly close enough to the waves that the actual currents carry them. They're reading, and I had the thought, man, if I could fly, I think that that might be what I'd want to do, just never land, just never come ashore, and they live a long time. But I think about the albatross not flapping his wings and just doing what God made him to do without much effort, finding the way to navigate the stream, catch the wind the right way, and not work, not strive at this thing so much. But be, be the real Sherry without striving. And and the imperfections are fine. That's fine. We'll, learning to accept the, the, uh, the... There is always going to be a gap. And this imperfect seeking of God and this imperfect remembering of Jesus and this imperfect... Like we've got to keep grace central. Grace central, grace central. Because the more we want to love God, the harder it can, it can be unhelpful.
2: I do, I'm so but I love wrong. it. I'm so <laughs> I I sure. opposite what I was analyzing I, I, everything. I used to analyze everything. I don't do that. I, I think
1: I know where Sherry's coming from. It's like it's like he gets close to God, mm. and he's right there, and it's like, but but you can only handle it for fifteen seconds, not even that, probably. whatever whatever it may be, and my time keeps going down. And, <laughs> and, and you know, it. and it's like you know because a. Because of his presence, I think it's because of his his presence. It's not because of anything that you're doing wrong. Mm-hmm. Because because the presence of God is can be so strong that we can't even we can't even with with bear it. You know, um, it, like you know, and I think I think that maybe what's going on with you it's like his presence comes so strong that it's that it's, that it's hard for you to to to, to bear it. I, right? I do think
2: that, and I think it's yeah. I mean, yeah. I am aware of every like how far. maybe the more you really know him, the more like maybe it's a sign that I'm knowing.
1: Like experiences.
2: Yeah, I don't know.
0: They say that been they say the experts. that
2: experts. And it's because, and it's talking about that here. And yeah. It's not talking. Say it again.
0: Huh? Say it again.
2: Um, been shown to us and we've seen him.
0: And that's our experience our too. Eyes. Yeah.
2: We've seen him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. And yeah. he's given life.
0: And somebody would say, well, Tim, you don't you haven't touched him, you haven't seen him. Sherry, you haven't touched him, you haven't seen him. But Paul actually says that the objective objective evidence that we know God and that we've been accepted and forgiven by the cross is the power of the Holy Spirit confirming to us. Okay. His Spirit, Romans 8, 16, bears witness. Somebody check that for me. Romans eight sixteen question mark. His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are God's children. And then so many other places, like two or three other places, he says that we've received the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing, that's interesting language, guaranteeing. What we will receive later, so Paul views that as giving us rational warrant. I'm saved. I'm forgiven. I should expect Jesus to come and bring me salvation. He came the first time to die. Next time he's coming to he's next time he's coming to rescue me. And bring judgment, but to rescue the saints. That's Hebrews. I love Hebrews. Yeah. See and. Some people would view, oh, that's subjective, so it's invalid. And Paul says, no, it's objective information that is subjectively experienced, right? A hug is an objective thing, but it's subjectively experienced, you know? Okay, I should probably shut this down, but I can feel at least Evan has a comment.
3: So, um, So what you were talking about about... Um, being more self forgetful, like being less self aware.
0: Those are the good times.
3: Right. Well, you know, so that was probably the root of why I loved drinking so much. Oh, boy. Why I loved being drunk. No yeah. inner dialogue. I think that's right. No analyzing, no self doubt. If I thought of something, I said it. I did it. <laughs>
0: if if and, it was wrong.
3: And, yeah, exactly. But it was just, I was always, there wasn't that constant, it, the, the you know, self-critique, self, you know, and it's not all negative stuff, but just all of that went, shoo, and I was just, yeah. I felt like I was operating on, like, almost on the surface.
0: So it's run, it's a form, so it was a form of running away from?
3: Oh, yeah, all of the...
0: Facing yourself.
3: Right, the, the, just the, yeah, and, you know, the constant, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
3: yeah, right, and and like I said, it's not always a negative thing, but it can be extremely exhausting, and, you know, I know every everybody's not the same in that sense, um, you know, one person <clears throat> from hearing one sentence that you've said could have just heard your sentence, and then ask another person, and they've already gone on three, you know, <clears throat> rabbit Rabbit trails and and whatever and and I'm kind of more of that, you know, second nature. So um, it seemed, and this, you know, I started drinking when I was 13 years old, and not only did it seem to cut out the depression and anxiety, but 13. Yeah, so that was what I fell in love with with alcohol because it was like
0: that was your savior,
3: right? So
0: little less. Let's all be clear in the recording. No, it wasn't his real savior. It was your functional savior <laughs> no. yeah, from your and I functional hell. No, yeah, no longer drink, yeah. Uh,
3: at all. Um, it was your idol, right. right? So, the times that I've operated like that on the Holy Spirit. Um, very few mm. and far between, mm. but I've been there.
0: Yeah, the do not be drunk with wine, but instead be filled oh, right, with the Holy Spirit. Because
3: I'm still, you know, and even these questions that you're bringing up tonight, I mean, that you, you, you know, I, I think along the same lines, yeah. um, you know, constantly taking information in and then, um, but there were times and, and probably I, I was trying to think before I said anything. Um, times that i have fasted you know maybe a day or two usually like two days into fasting and it's unfortunately it's been too long since i really have where i'm operating like that and i'm not in a
0: state of flow
3: right i'm not but i don't feel it it's not like i'm i'm on this other level i just really notice that i'm you know, if I think I'm supposed to talk to somebody, I, I don't talk myself out of it. <laughs> if I, if I feel, you know, if, if, I'm, you know, feel like I'm supposed to say something to somebody, there's not this like, oh gosh, I don't want to offend or how are they going to feel or, you know, um, like I said, few and far between now in all the other times I'm doing what you're talking about. And I, I mean, I don't feel like because I'm in that place, I'm, um away from God right. or not you know or, or I don't have the Holy Spirit working in me, but there are those moments and I, you know, I I can't honestly I I would I can't relate to um you know even at those times I don't feel like I'm like so close that you know like you're talking about and you talked about it last week in prayer that you're like flexing some muscle and getting mm. so close, but mm. it's like it almost like uh, um, like depletes you. Yeah, right. So I mean, I, I I don't I don't know that I've really experienced that, but
0: that was would, a particular say, muscle.
3: Right. Yeah. But I, I would say like the times you know the time, times that I've really fasted probably to the point of where like you know. Um, I'm definitely running on something else. You know, I mean, I've I've denied denied myself food and and I usually just drink, I do drink water when when I'm fasting, but you know, there's no food there. I'm denying myself these things and...
0: Yeah, there's an actual spirit, there's actually a Holy Spirit release of sustaining grace like God released on the Israelites in the wilderness. The man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word, and so Jesus said, "I have food. You don't know about it." He wasn't just making. He wasn't just using a metaphor. I don't think. I think he was really talking about his body being animated with energies from God's kingdom realm that sustained and guided him in his fast as he was lining up with the will of the Father. It was fueling even his body. I could be wrong. No, but, yeah.
3: I mean, and those, you know, those are times when, um, like we were talking about. Like having this closeness with God saying that you know where you can completely confirm i i know God and you know i'm uh, led by a spirit i'm operating in his spirit um, and it's <clears throat> it i think you know it's it's a time where you're completely denying yourself even your flesh of its own um, of of everything it everything it needs in the natural world, you know? I mean, I think I, I would get closer every time I deny myself spending money that I shouldn't spend, you know what I mean? Or, or um, you know, these things that, these things I think I need, but then on that next level of even denying myself, you know, things that my body even needs. Right, I mean, food to survive, um, and maybe even sleep at some point to stay and be in touch, you know, to to spend that time being in touch with the Lord. And you guys were talking about being up at you know 4 a.m. That's Carl, (laughs) and being up to pray, you know, not yeah, yeah, not because well, I'm already up because I'm heading to work, so right, God, but um, you know, and just in that. Then going back to scriptures where, you know, the Lord says, well, deny yourself, you know, deny, deny your flesh, deny yourself, and, and uh, um, I think it all, you know, I think it really just all comes down to that. Um,
0: he also, yeah, and, okay, I'm going to walk back over this direction, yeah. open it more broadly again. Yeah. The same Jesus who says, deny myself, he says, whoever believes in me, let him come to me and drink. And feast, whoever's hungry, let him come feast. Whoever's thirsty, let him come drink. I'm freely giving the water of life. So it's like, I, I always want to counterbalance our move toward him with our assurance of his grace and mercy and move toward us. That he really, I, I, I love bracketing all these conversations in my own head with the fact that I'm so under grace, I'm so covered, I'm so found, I'm so pursued, I'm so loved. I am, because we have such a, because we, 2 Corinthians, I was going through a real dark season, and I was like, what's my hope? Like, what is even my hope? You know, because God's like, because we have, Paul says, because we have such a hope, we are very bold. And I was like, but what's my hope? And I found it in there. It's, it's, we're sure that we've received His mercy. We're so confident in His mercy that we have hope. And because we have hope, that makes us bold. But it starts with His mercy. Not with my striving, not with my fasting and praying, which is useful and helpful tools, right? If I have faith, I might do those things. But if I don't, if I don't know if I'm going to be able to receive mercy, I'm not, probably not even going to want to do those things. But um, I was telling Stan on Sunday, our job as preachers is no matter how much we exhort, we always have to give people (laughs) Jesus and the the spirit. Galatians is such a crazy book. Paul says, did you receive the spirit and have all these miracles break out among you guys because you memorized all the Bible verses, got up at four in the morning and saw his face? Or was it because you believed the finished work of the cross? you believed the finished work of the cross and the spirit began to move. You put your confidence in what he bought in his covenant, who he is for you, and as your faith attached to that, the spirit began to move. And now you guys are going to try to get back into like, if you do your dietary regulations and circumcise the man and observe Sabbath perfectly, and he goes, I, 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 keep your eyes on the finished work. All of our spiritual disciplines, Right? We 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 want to be spiritually disciplined, but all of our spiritual disciplines are forms of cut, shutting out other things to put our focus on this incredible love, this incredible acceptance and forgiveness. So I always want to bracket a conversation like this with a good slathering of mercy, you know, just slather the whole thing with the goober grape of you know of mercy and grace, peanut butter and jelly, mercy and grace, because I mean. He absolutely knew all my imperfections before he ever said, you, me, let's go. He knew. Sure. you know. He knew that I would consistently experience doubts, and some people would say, Tim overthinks things, and he goes, nah, keep overthinking, I like it. You know. And he's, just, he's, he's pursuing me. He's pursuing me. I, and I'm not building my faith with this intellectual thing that I love to work on. I just love to work on it. But that's not my faith. My faith is the relationship that you, you guys are talking about. That's my faith. I have an intellect, and I want to engage people on their intellect, and I want to help them ask the right I want to ask the right questions to cause them to maybe doubt their doubts. But the goal of all of it isn't to get them to accept my beliefs, it's to get them into a relationship with this one who I know and who is beyond my understanding, like you're saying. He is so beyond my understanding. But I'm called to use my mind to think about it. All right, that's enough talking from Tim. Can I pray? Shall I pray? Jesus, we thank you for Galatians. We thank you that you pour out your spirit when we just say, yeah, I'll receive that. You did that for me. That you're for us. I thank you, God, that you broke into history so that your disciples could know the one that made them. You broke into history so we would know the one who made us. You sent the Spirit to us to confirm that we're actually yours and that we're in. And to make this mercy real, I ask God that you'd grow us, that you would teach us to think carefully and critically. Teach us what evidence to trust and how to think rationally about the evidence so that we don't have wrong ideas that don't correspond to your book. We ask that as we read the Bible, you would, you would teach us. We ask that as we listen to your spirit, you would teach us. We ask that as we operate in community, you would teach us. We ask that as we wake up in the morning, you would remind us, good morning, I love you, I'm with you today. Instead of us thinking that it's our job to tell you good morning to make sure you're with us that day. No, you're with us. I ask God that while we're doing something completely unspiritual, you would just flood us with, with your Holy Spirit as though we were in some sort of revival. You've done that. You're seeking your children. You're pursuing your children. God, we ask for our kids to know you. We ask for you to pursue our kids. We ask for you to pursue our kids. We ask that as they try to learn how to make the faith their own, as they're testing on worldviews like hats and clothes, testing on identities, that, they would, that you would touch their, their palate, that you would touch their spiritual taste buds, that they would go, nope, nope, nope there it is, when they find you. And I ask God that you would give us the joy of in this life seeing our children come home to you because they were made for you, made by you, and they exist for you. And they're going to find their peace in you. They're going to find their hope in you. They're going to find their identity in you when they come home to you. So we ask God for our kids. God, we pray for this nation. We pray for our leaders of this nation, teach them the things that make for peace. We pray God for just judges even more than just laws. We pray for the fate of the unborn, God that you would turn the hearts of leaders, that you would rehabilitate and transform our inner cities in Jesus name, that you would restore families in Jesus name. We ask that we would be used as your hands and the feet and your feet to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, take care of people, and that we would be inviting people, be reconciled to God. Give us, give us grace, God, to not be cynical or afraid. You said in the last days, the love of most would grow cold. And we say, no, that's not going to be us, God. We're going to keep our love on. We're going to let your love replenish and restore us so we can keep seeing people's value even when they act ugly. Even when they act ugly. Give us wisdom, Jesus. You knew people's hearts and you adjusted your method to what was right for each one of them. Help us adjust our method with no guilt that maybe we're not doing it. If, we don't, if we're not mean enough, we're not being honest with people. If anyone in the room, I know there's only, what, eight, nine, ten of us or something like that, but anyone who feels almost guilty for not knowing how to engage people well, in Jesus' name, I release you. You're allowed to just be nice. In Jesus' name, you don't have to broach every difficult subject. You're allowed to just be nice. You're allowed to love them the way you know how to love them. Love them the way that's natural to who you are. You ain't got to be somebody else. In Jesus' name, God, you know. If, if somebody says, I, my pronouns are he, she, they, or whatever, it's okay for us to call them that, even though we don't believe that's the real identity. maybe we can love them into a context in which we might be able to have a conversation about that. We don't have to pick every fight. We can pray. We don't have to pick every fight. We can pray. God, we ask that you would bless our lives. You would take care of us. We trust you to take care of us. Jesus, you said our Father's taking care of us. He knows what we need before we even ask. Amen.